there and welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, Scott introduced me to a very fun tale. Scott, what did we watch today? We watched the 1993 version of The Three Musketeers, one of the 27,000 versions of this story. Oh, yes, there are very many notable adaptations of Alexander Dumas's 1844 novel, The Three Musketeers. There are several films, most recently in 2011, starring Luke Evans and Mila Jovovich. So you know that that was definitely a good movie, whatever it was. And then there's been a bunch of TV series and cartoons, and there's even a animated Disney version with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy as the Three Musketeers. So this is not a news story by any stretch of the imagination. No, it is not. I heard somebody describe Alexander Dumas's original work as a tome. Because I think it's like 14,000 pages. Fun. Okay. Usually I like to read the book before I see the movie. I have no intention of doing that. I listen to a lot of other podcasts. One of the other podcasts I was listening to about this movie talked about how in the original source material, they actually like make D'Artagnan a musketeer twice in the book. He had forgotten 30 chapters earlier that he had made him a, a musketeer. So he does it twice in the same book. Ah, clearly proofreading and editing was not a thing in the 1800s. We talked about it last week. We talked about how this movie may not have the best reputation. Uh, no, definitely not. It has a 28% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. And a 62 fan score, I believe. Yes. But... Even still, I think more people are reviewing it again and realizing it's not its not a 28. No, I wouldn't say it's a 28. I'd say it's probably more along the lines of the audience score as far as objectively what it really is. This isn't like the best movie in the world, but it's just a fun time. And I got into it more than I thought I was going to. I think if you haven't seen it in a while, it's on Disney+. Plus. You should definitely watch it. I think you would have a fun time. It's like Young Guns meets Princess Bride meets Robin Hood. Yeah, that sounds right. This movie was directed by Stephen Herrick, who directed several well-known films, including Critters, Bill and Ted, The Mighty Ducks, and Glenn Close's 101 Dalmatians. So that's, that's a pretty solid reputation there for maybe not necessarily the cream of the crop as far as movies are concerned but definitely a solid fun array of movies again i think this guy does fun well and all those movies are fun yes absolutely however the movie is written by david lowry i think that's how you say it and um he has written lots of trash (laughs) including pretty much any movie over the past 10 years or so about a regular old person who is being stalked and or attacked by a an obsessive love crazed lunatic <laughs> like we got uh obsessed here which is the beyonce version of that uh there's intruder fatal which i think is the most recent one with uh hillary swank is the crazy lady but yeah i guess it was helped that it was based off like a classic novel so he had at least some decent material to work with well in the same breath he also does have 
arguably one of the sleaziest characters in this movie. I don't I don't know if I'd call him sleazy. Uh, sleazy implies lustful? that there's... Lustful? Is, yeah, lustful is a creepier way to put it. Because Tim Curry is our villain in this movie. And obviously Tim Curry is the fucking best ever. There's no denying that. However, he is especially creepy in this movie. He's creeptastic, some might say. Oh yeah, we will get to all of Tim Curry because Tim Curry is goddamn amazing. But uh, yeah, I think over time as people revisit this movie, hopefully they'll gain a better appreciation of it. So Scott, are you ready to get into the nitty and the gritty? I am ready, dear. We start out with meeting our villain, Tim Curry, who plays the Cardinal, and he is executing a thief for stealing a loaf of bread. Basically, he's Jean Valjean, but the Disney-fied version of it, I guess. Stole a loaf of bread. My sister's child was close to death. We were starving. We'll starve again. I just needed a loaf of bread for my family. We haven't eaten in days. It's like, ah, 24601. Yes, we meet him. He, he is, of course the underhanded like he acts like he forgives him and then he has his second in command Rochefort who kills this guy and yeah you you understand right away bad guy oh you immediately recognize he's a bad guy not just Tim Curry but the little lackey because the little lackey not only wears all black at all times and has like the most sinister of sinister mustaches but he also has a patch over his eye so it's like okay can you make it more obvious perhaps that this guy is evil <laughs> like why don't you just like give him a fucking scar down the side of his face or something like just just make it even more obvious give him a hook for a hand or something and you he's deep voice too oh yeah he has like a, the graveliest of gravelly voices too just just think anything villainous in a movie and this guy's got it in space but yeah him and tim curry are our bad guys it's very funny because tim curry doesn't start out full tim curry in this no there's a slow burn and it's it, it's actually a nice little build i feel like for him and he is always great he gives 110 percent in every bad movie he's ever been in yeah, this was right between his work in Home Alone 2 and Congo, which Congo, I feel like, is a movie that not a lot of people know about, especially not as much as Home Alone 2. I think in Congo, if I'm not mistaken, he plays like an over-the-top, terrible Russian-accented man. I don't know why. No, no, the diamonds are here! Well, he, he does that in Command & Conquer as well, the video game. I don't think there's a person on this planet who does not love Tim Curry. That, I think, is a fair assessment, yes. So now we must meet our hero, D'Artagnan, who is in the middle of a sword fight uh, with our running gag of the movie. I hated that running gag. It was so annoying. It was so... It's trying so hard to be funny, but it was so annoying. So let, let's let's unpack everything that went on in this introduction here of D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan is played by Chris O'Donnell. And as Scott said earlier to me off mic, for some reason in the 90s, they quote unquote tried to make Chris O'Donnell a thing. And I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, Chris O'Donnell honestly is probably the weakest part of this entire movie. Yeah, and I wouldn't say necessarily that he's 
the worst actor in the world. He's just very, like, whatever. But, like, in this movie, obviously we're supposed to be, you know, not in the 90s. And it's not a great start to your movie when you introduce a character who is so obviously talking like he's a 90s guy. Like, he's just so obviously not from here. He does not belong. He needs to go home. Like, I got very strong Keanu vibes from um, Dracula, where he was, like, trying so hard to do a British accent and just sounded like a surfer dude with a lot of mental difficulties. (laughs) Yeah, Chris O'Donnell definitely does not have a lot of street cred between this and Batman and Robin. Now he's got NCIS. Oh, yes, with LL Cool J. I mean, he's living the dream now, so... But yes, he apparently has slept with this man's sister, and this man must defend his sister's honor. It's a running joke, because all he does is basically scream, D'Artagnan! Oh no, it's so much worse than that. He's got like a really high-pitched, shrill screech going on, and it's like, stop it. Like, the intro of this movie, like maybe the first 10 to 20 minutes, I was not feeling very confident that this was going to be good. (laughs) It's like, okay, between Chris O'Donnell, this fucking screechy guy, and the fact that they just like packed the first 10, 15 minutes with comical slapstick, like the slapstickiest of slapstick for seemingly no reason, because I feel like the beginning of this movie does really not at all match the second part of it. I don't know. Like, there's still humor after the first 15, 20 minutes, but it's just the tone of it is very different. In the first 10-15 minutes, it's kind of... It seems like it's almost going to be a different kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it, when we meet D'Artagnan, he goes on... Because now this family starts chasing him around the French countryside. And he, to avoid them, he, you know, basically destroys a small village. It's all slapsticky. It's all goofy. And you, you kind of get the sense that D'Artagnan's supposed to be, I guess, kind of a scamp. Yeah, he's he's our lovable scamp. He's there for the young ladies because at one point he, he they have him take his shirt off and the girls are supposed to swoon and it's like okay, you definitely earned your Razzie nomination, sir. Because it, it's just it's not even that he's terrible. It's just it feels very much like he doesn't belong in this world that we're building. I would love to take this cast again. If they you could keep them all the same age and find another actor to play D'Artagnan. Yeah, this would be a fun movie to do like a fan cast of. Maybe we'll do that at some point this week. But fun fact, there was a far superior actor who was offered this role originally and turned it down. A Mr. Bradley Pitt was offered the role of D'Artagnan. Oh, that would have been great. That would have been so much better. <laughs> he I- probably would have saved this movie. <laughs> A young Brad Pitt? Because he, exactly, he would have been yeah. real young at this point. Yeah, so D'Artagnan gets away. We do learn a little bit here about Papa D'Artagnan. Papa D'Artagnan. <laughs> Is that what we're calling him? Sure, why not? We okay. Ne- <laughs> so, so D'Artagnan's father used to be a musketeer, which are basically a army of men in France who are assigned with the sole purpose of protecting the king. And... D'Artagnan's father, he unfortunately died. He, I don't think he's exactly sure how he died. He just knows that his father died protecting the king. Uh, it does come up that his father had failed and the king had died. 
Yes, the the previous king, obviously. Yes. But D'Artagnan is determined to go to France and join the musketeers like his father before him. Exactly. But unfortunately, in the center of France, where the musketeers are, they are being disbanded by the cardinal and Rochefort. Can we just call him, like, evil eyepatch guy? Well, at one point, they start calling him Cyclops. Oh, that seems offensive, though. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That seems that seems a little mean. <laughs> I don't really like that. Making fun of a disability, even though the guy's evil and all. It's just feels mean. Okay, so we'll call him Eyepatch. Okay. <laughs> you can call him Eyepatch. Because that's just a distinguishing... I mean, maybe that's not that different, actually. <laughs> calling him Eyepatch. I don't know. I just feel weird calling him Cyclops. Eyepatch is just an object... That's just a fact that he has an eye patch. You know what I mean? But calling him Cyclops, it just seems kind of mean. I guess, sir. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm taking this too seriously. For uh, <laughs> It is a Three Musketeers movie from 1993, after all. But yes, he tells the Musketeers that they are disbanded. Of course, he tells Tim Curry that there are three remaining Musketeers who have not shown up yet. And Tim Curry is like, you better get those motherfuckers. Yeah, find them and bring them to me. And that's when we meet our actual titular Three Musketeers. Yes, D'Artagnan arrives and runs into our first Musketeer, Athos. Played by Kiefer Sutherland, who was by far my favorite character of the film. I feel like he's the most developed of the Three Musketeers, for sure. He has the most meat on the bone. Yes. He has the best scenes of character growth and character development. And I think Kiefer nails this. Yeah, definitely. I feel like he's an underrated actor just in general. We will be covering another one of his movies at some point where he uh, may or may not be a vampire. Who knows? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Lost Boys, guys. I know. I'm a bad person. I'm sorry. But I'm excited to see that, actually. I like Kiefer Sutherland. Let's just go. I enjoy him. He seems just like a cool fucking dude. Actually, we're going to be covering actually a couple of Kiefer movies at some point in time. Lost Boys is one. Young Guns would be others. Oh, right. That. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bad person. This is what this show's about, okay? (laughs) Don't judge me. So, Athos is basically lamenting that the Musketeers are done. And D'Artagnan is like, yo, you can't leave. And he's kind of rude to Athos. And Athos basically goes, okay, we're going to have a duel at noon. And then? (laughs) And then, oh boy, then we go and he runs into and spills a drink on Porthos. Played by Oliver Platt, who has been in a ton of things. He was the best friend character in the Eddie Murphy, Dr. Doolittle film. Not the shitty... Robert Downey Jr., too little movie. Um, he had a stint on The West Wing, which is like one of my favorite shows of all fucking time. And he's currently starring on Chicago Med, which is a procedural doctor show on, I think, NBC or CBS, whatever fucking network. I don't care, but it's <laughs> he's still working that guy. God bless him. The thing about a lot of these characters in this movie, there are a lot of great character actors. And Oliver Platt is... Almost scene stealing in most of this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, he's really providing most of the comic relief. Charlie Sheen's character, who we're going to get to in a minute or two, he provides some of it as well. 
Kiefer Sutherland is mostly playing it straight, but Porthos is really responsible for most of the smart aleck quips in the film. Like, I, I almost won a Porthos movie because he is really good at it. But yes, D'Artagnan spills a drink on him and he proceeds to go, Excuse me! This sash was a gift to me from the Queen of America. There's no Queen of America. I beg to differ, infant. We're on quite intimate terms unless you can prove otherwise. You dare challenge Porthos? <laughs> we will duel at one o'clock. And then, if you can like guess where this is going, rule of three and all. Rule of three. We now meet Aramis. Played by Charlie motherfucking Sheen. And Charlie Sheen is about to sleep with a married woman. Can we say typecasted well it's it's hilarious because okay first of all yes obviously charlie sheen was cast in this movie to be what he is in pretty much every charlie sheen movie that i know of he's supposed to be like the bad boy that gets all the chicks and that's kind of his shtick and that's what he does in this movie except instead of just you know getting the chicks and sleeping with married women he's also a really devout religious man which is ironic as fuck and doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but that's kind of the beauty of this character. He's kind of hypocritical, but also makes up for it because he's charming and says funny stuff, so it's fine. <laughs> but this is kind of what I noticed with the, uh, the three musketeers. None of them ha- are trying to even put on British accents or anything, including D'Artagnan, obviously, as we discussed, but everyone else around them has some kind of British accent, which is fine, the reason that I didn't care as much about the main three musketeers accents, because at least they were trying to like make their voices a little more lofty and like sophisticated sounding, you know, but uh, literally Chris O'Donnell just sounds like he walked out of the fucking mall in 1992. Just like, hey, what's going on? Like, I can't I could it, it almost took me out of it a couple of times. But Sutherland, Platt, and Sheen, they at least tried to change their voice somewhat so you could sort of kind of believe that they belonged there. (laughs) Yeah, so Aramis jumps out of an apartment after uh, the husband comes home, and he lands on D'Artagnan, and he apologizes to D'Artagnan for landing on him, and D'Artagnan's like, your apology isn't accepted, and he goes, I can't accept rudeness. We duel at two o'clock. Okay, so now he's doing. <laughs> now D'Artagnan is dueling three men in the same day. Okay, girl, oh. you clearly have some issues either with your attitude or your lack of luck. Either way, you've got problems, bro. D'Artagnan, while this is going on, does meet Constance and Anne, Lady in Waiting, and the Queen of France. They aren't really big characters. No, like actually, they're they're kind of pointless to have made characters out of them, because like they introduce both of them. Constance, uh, the lady in waiting, she's basically a nothing character. She literally talks to D'Artagnan for maybe a minute, and then she's instantly in love with him. And but she doesn't show up again until like halfway through the movie for a scene, and then at the very end, and like you don't even barely remember her at all so she's really pointless but even the queen character Anne 
she's also pretty pointless like they try to shoehorn in a storyline between her and the king of france and like because they had an arranged marriage but they genuinely like each other so they're kind of like into each other but they're both young and yeah and and the cardinals like manipulating them and it's, it's all very you know young love misunderstandings oh the hijinks and it's like this that's not really necessary like if they just took that part out of the movie and spent a little more time developing the musketeers that we've been following this whole movie like i would have been so much happier with that well yeah but i I do understand that they have to kind of have the king for the cardinal to kind of manipulate well yeah i get that but like you don't have to make him into like a try or at least try to make him into like a real character character you could have just made him like a fucking cardboard cutout i would have been okay with that because then we would have got more time with the musketeers that is true but i don't mind the king the king's okay this movie for being based off a fourteen thousand page tome is an actually very lean hour 40 basically oh yeah like the pace was great in the movie actually there was a lot of action but also a lot of quippy dialogue and just fun shit to like carry you through so i wasn't mad at that at all so we get a couple little moments where uh the cardinal does meet with the queen and starts planting his little manipulation of the queen tim curry basically every time he talks to the queen starts hinting at that he basically wants to fuck the queen yeah it's really yucky (laughs) it's just so yucky because like both the king and the queen here look like they're fucking 15, 16 year old kids. And Tim Curry is not that. No, no, no. But we do get the moment where the king comes in and kind of yells at the cardinal for disbanding the musketeers. And we learn about this upcoming war of England. The cardinal basically lays out his plan that he has to get rid of the king. But first we must deal with these musketeers that are running around all wild because they could be a problem. So they do try to arrest Athos and Aramis. It doesn't go well. No, Porthos kind of barges in via the chandelier in the goddamn bar. He like jumps over the rafters onto the chandelier and it crashes down and like decimates all the fucking guards <laughs> and he he just looks up after he does it and he's like oh did i get everyone oh no i missed fucking creepy eye patch guy oh darn <laughs> which then we learn that he was once a musketeer that they threw out of the musketeers for quote-unquote unbecoming behavior of a musketeer exactly And they were the three that stood against him. So he has a vendetta against our three musketeers. Now we go to the duel. So they show up for the duel, the three musketeers and D'Artagnan, and they realize like, oh, wait, this guy planned to duel all three of us. Okay, he's got some cojones. (laughs) What the fuck's with this kid? Well, Porphos goes, Athos, you can't fight this man. (laughs) Why not? Because I have to fight him. And they reveal that they are musketeers. He goes oh my god you're musketeers he goes yes you pick your opponents very poorly (laughs) like no no i've been looking for you guys he's like well you found us you dumbass and then the cardinal's guards show up again to arrest them a second time in the day which seems foolish and they even bring that up like they just tried to arrest us before like are they really that stupid to try to do it again (laughs) they're like yeah i guess so (laughs) only a fool will try and arrest us twice in one day you're under arrest fool (laughs) yeah And Porthos just turns around and says to them, like, uh, excuse me, 
we're doing something right now. We're not really prepared to resist you yet. Just give us a moment. And <laughs> the four of them kind of like huddle together because D'Artagnan's like, I'll help you guys out, like whatever. And Porthos and the other guys turn around in a big flourish. And they're like, yes, now we're prepared to resist you. And <laughs> they start fighting. And what's funny about the fight scenes in this movie, the sword fighting, is that Chris O'Donnell, Kiefer Sutherland, and Oliver Platt all had six weeks of fencing and horse riding lessons just to prepare for the filming. And Charlie Sheen conveniently missed all of that training <laughs> because he was busy filming Hot Shots Part 2, uh, which came out the same year as his film. So that gives you the idea of where we were at with Charlie Sheen's career. And the more he talks, by the way, in this movie, I know I said that Chris O'Donnell was the only one that sounded bad. And Charlie Sheen isn't as bad as Chris O'Donnell. But the more you hear him talk, you realize like, oh, this is mostly just Charlie Sheen with like maybe 10% of lofty sophistication. While Oliver Platt and Kiefer Sutherland are like giving it all they can give it. Oh, I feel like. Oh, 110%. But, you know, it's, it's easier to forgive Charlie Sheen in the 90s because, you know... It's Charlie Sheen. He's looking good, guys. He's, he's looking good. Well, it's it's so funny because you could tell that Charlie Sheen didn't do the sword fight training because he does the same Scooby-Doo method to beat these guards like three times throughout the movie where he kind of just dodges it and then one of the guards stabs another guard. Yeah, yeah. While the other three can actually kind of sword fight now. D'Artagnan does kill one of the guards the three musketeers escape, but D'Artagnan is captured. D'Artagnan is being questioned, but he does not know where the musketeers are, and he wouldn't tell them anyway. Also, his father's sword that he has is taken by Eyepatch. We gotta come up with a better name for him. I feel bad calling him Eyepatch. Why don't we just call him Dread Pirate Roberts, because he basically is fucking Wesley when he was the Dread Pirate Roberts in Princess Bride. He's just evil. Yes. Well, he, well, as far as we knew, the Dread Pirate Roberts was evil, so let's go with that. Well, you know, he's more, uh, he's the six-fingered man. Well, yeah. Because that's technically who he is. He's but the Dread Pirate Roberts <laughs> was wearing all black. I'm trying to make this easy for the people. All right, fine. The Dread Pirate Roberts. How about just not Tim Curry? <laughs> yeah, not Tim Curry. <laughs> let's do that. Let's uh, try that one. Yeah, this is, yes, that is a good one. D'Artagnan does end up trying to escape, but... He learns of the Cardinal's evil plan when the Cardinal meets with Milady de Winter. Played by Rebecca de Mornay. Uh, but fun fact, Winona Ryder was actually originally considered for the role. Well, I think Rebecca de Mornay does a great job with this part. Yeah, she basically plays like a cunty, cunty bitch, which, I mean, she does a great job. She actually reminded me of Cersei Lannister. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. She apparently killed the Count de Winter. So she is just a countess because of marriage. But the cardinal tries to get uh, handsy. Uh, of course. <laughs> and she holds a knife to his balls. I know we can't do it justice, but Tim Curry, he, the way he sp just says his lines. I mean, the, that's just how he is in every movie. It's just he gives 110% all the time, and it's always great. Because on paper, like, this villain character of the cardinal is very cardboard cutout. And, like, even when you watch the movie, you recognize, like, yeah, like, this isn't anything particularly special. But Tim Curry definitely does bring something extra to it to make it more entertaining than it would have been with anybody else. Exactly. 110%. If you put another random actor in this role, you, you would have got the cardboard cutout. D'Artagnan does hear the Cardinal's plan to take over England 
by making a deal with England to show his power and take over France, and he will be the head of France. Tim Curry then also tells the Countess de Winter that she must get on a ship heading for England with this treaty. D'Artagnan realizes he has to get the treaty before it goes to England. But he gets captured by the Dread Pirate Roberts, and we learn a little more about Papa D'Artagnan a little here, too. Yes. Tim Curry looks at Dread Pirate Roberts when D'Artagnan tells him who he is. He's like, that sounds familiar. And like he looks at Dread Pirate Roberts and he points to his eye, his eye patch, implying, yes, that Papa D'Artagnan took Dread Pirate Roberts' eye. D'Artagnan won't give them any information, so they decide they're going to cut off D'Artagnan's head. Hey guys, quick break from the main show. We just wanted to take a minute to show you all some kick-ass podcasts that Scott and I really enjoy. Check them out now. Hey podcast lover, have you checked out the great pop culture debate? If not, you're missing out on episodes ranging from best one-hit wonder of the 70s and 80s, best sitcom theme song, best breakfast cereal, and best clue movie quote, among many others. If you like movies, music, TV, and games, if you live for friends playfully dragging each other to make a point, and if you want a podcast where you get a say, check us out on your podcast platform of choice or head to greatpopculturedebate.com for episodes, polls, and more. And remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinion. Your dog is cute, your kids are adorable, and your cat really does look good in that tutu. But there's only so many times you can talk about how cool velociraptors are, or how much you want to rub that fuzzy belly. How about a podcast with extraordinary people and scintillating conversation? It's The Derek Duvall Show! Find it at DerekDuvallShow.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And no, I will not be attending your cat's quinceanera. So we cut to the execution of D'Artagnan. As D'Artagnan is being brought to the block to have his head chopped off, he's being read his last rites by a priest who turns out to be Aramis. And Porthos is the executioner. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, once they took Chris O'Donnell and started taking him out to be executed. I'm like, okay, how are they gonna like swoop in and save the day here? <laughs> Three Musketeers, like, what's gonna happen? And sure enough, they did. And I was very excited. It was a cool like little reveal that they were there to save him. Uh, we do learn at some point in this that at one point Aramis was a student of the Cardinal Porthos and Aramis three D'Artagnan. Athos has now stolen the Cardinal's personal carriage. And they all jump in, and that starts a chase. Oh, yes. We love a good chase scene. <laughs> the Cardinal looks at the Dread Pirate Roberts and goes, I want them dead or alive, preferably dead. Oh, yeah. The way he did deliver that line was really good. I thought the movie froze for a second because he like went to walk away and just stopped dead and like slowly slinked back. He was like, I prefer dead. And I'm like, ooh, okay, shit. <laughs> this chase scene has some great moments. They do throw like gold back to the peasants at one point Porthos grabs the champagne and goes to Athos who's driving the carriage and goes oh sh- a little champagne sir he goes Porthos we're in the middle of a chase oh yes 
a red den. <laughs> a lot of great little funny moments. There is an explosion, of course, that lets them run away. But the Cardinal has a far reach and is sending every bounty hunter after them. But they get away and they realize they have to get this treaty. Because D'Artagnan tells, of course, the musketeers about it. So they get about halfway and stop at a bar to have some good old times and learn the secrets of wenching. Porfos just has some great fucking lines here. This scene was so corny and dumb. Like, I I almost fast-forwarded through some of it because I was like, okay, this is stupid. Oh, but it's great because Porfos... It's so cheesy and, like, gross almost. (laughs) It's like making out with these random women and, like, trying to get in their panties. I'm like, okay, (laughs) we get it. Well, Porfos is the straightforward kiss tells everything about you. While Charlie Sheen is more of the, I woo you with my words. Mm-hmm. His words sounded like they came out of a Hallmark card in like 1972. They probably did. <laughs> and they were probably, who knows, because 1400 pages, they were probably in the goddamn original text. But I, they, it sounded so dumb. <laughs> I was like, I gotta go. Can we please go back to the fun stuff? It was up until around this point in the movie, I was still at like, eh, this is okay kind of situation. Things started turning around for me when we went to Athos. Yes. Because at one point, D'Artagnan says to one of the guys, he's like, why is Athos over there all by himself when we're having such a grand old time over here? And I think it was Aramis, Charlie Sheen, who was like, oh, you know, Athos, he takes his drinking very seriously. He does. <laughs> And then D'Artagnan goes over to Athos and he's like, hey, buddy, what's up? What's wrong? (laughs) And uh, they get to talking and Kiefer Sutherland gives a bit of a monologue here that like his acting is like really good because he's just telling a story that's clearly about him and his past. And usually, I mean, just generally speaking, show is better than tell. But for whatever reason, just his acting in this scene is so captivating that, like, I was very in it. I was like, whoa, okay, I'm interested to know more about you, sir. Like, what's going on? Yeah. He goes, what should we drink to? And D'Artagnan, of course, being D'Artagnan, goes, love. Yes, because he's a young, naive, brave little fuck. (laughs) (laughs) He's our scamp. Um, He's an idealistic little scamp. And Athos goes, love. Uh, let me tell you about love. Uh, there was a, once a lord who fell in love with a, a lady. He was stupid enough to marry her. And he goes, isn't that what people in love do? He goes, Shh, shut up. Let me tell the story. <laughs> I'm done with my story. <laughs> and after he marries her, it turns out she was wanted for murder. She claimed she was innocent all this whole time, but he had called the police to take her away. They took her away to be executed. And when he realized what he had done, sending the love of his life away... He was distraught, devastated. He gave away his fortune, his title, his name, never to be seen again. It's a very intense and uh, romantic story. And I was like, oh, okay, that seemed rather serious. I wasn't expecting that. But then literally the whole epic fucking tale of love and woe ends with fucking Porthos drunkenly crashing into the table and be like does anyone want to drink and fucking Kiefer Sutherland just punches him in the face and that's how the scene ends and I'm like okay <laughs> I'm still on board but okay so at this point I made a prediction yes 
So I was like, okay, either they're going to go two ways with this. Either they're going to do the stupid thing and like pretend that we didn't already know after that story that it was really about Kiefer Sutherland because he framed it from like the third person. So he never actually said it was him. So I'm like, okay, are they going to just have him reveal later on in the movie that the story was really about me? Like, yeah, dude, we already know. Okay, whatever. But it's a Disney movie, so you never know. Like, they might be, you know, spoon feeding it to the little ones. Or she's still alive and she really wasn't executed. Because he didn't say he saw her executed. He said they took her away to be executed. So yes. I'm like, oh, that would be great. Is she still alive? Okay, who is she? And I'm trying to, like, figure it out. I didn't figure out who it was. But I was like, hmm maybe she's still alive and that that was my prediction and spoiler alert i was very excited later on in the movie (laughs) indeed so now our three musketeers are trying to get to the ship to stop the treaty from leaving france they get separated and d'artagnan gets the furthest away and passes out and is picked up by the countess de winter ah yes it it was so weird (laughs) like how they did like it's so obvious what they were doing and it's like isn't this supposed to be a disney movie like what are we doing guys because literally like the next scene d'artagnan's waking up obviously shirtless because you know oh chris o'donnell in 1993 such a dreamboat and um not only is he shirtless but he is framed right next to some tiggle bitties (laughs) like literally the tiggle bitties were just right in the camera so obvious and i'm like okay that's just that's something for everyone i guess great that's that's nice (laughs) the ladies and the gents go home happy he's been brought to where they're supposed to go by the countess de winter and they have a little fight as they're fighting he rips off her sleeve revealing a tattoo of a brand that was brought up in Athos's story. Yes, he said that he found out that his wife was a murderer because she had a, a brand on her arm signifying that she was charged with murder. But when the fucking mark was revealed, I was very excited because I'm like, I am a genius. I could write movies. I'm psychic. Ha! Boom, baby. I was very proud of myself, even though looking back, it was probably pretty obvious that the lady was alive. But that's not the point, okay? Let me have my excitement. <laughs> no, I honestly think you should be excited. It, it's a nice moment, and I feel like it... Because we just had the moment of Kiefer telling us this whole story, and now it disconnects it even more, you're like, holy shit. But yes, uh, D'Artagnan has to use his wits so the Countess doesn't kill him. And she goes, okay, fine. We're going to bring you along with us. We'll probably kill you on the ship, but you know. So they go to the ship that is supposed to take the Countess they went there to England... They come on board and realize the whole crew is dead, except for our musketeers who happen to be impersonating the crew. (gasps) What a shock. Aramis gets into his fights, and Porthos lands and goes, ha-ha, and they go, oh my god, it's the pirate Porthos, and they run off the ship. Pirate? I told you I was famous. He has a little Indiana Jones moment here. One of the fighters does the whole, like, I got these two swords, I make all these wonderful movements and Porphos just fucking knocks the floor out from under him and he falls to his death. Yeah, that was funny. But Milady de Winter, she's running away and trying to escape with this treaty that she's got to get to England. And she is stopped by 
Athos. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I felt the intensity of the moment. He's holding a gun on her. And she's like, be kind. Aim for my heart. And I'm like, oh my God. I was not, listen, I was not expecting this storyline to happen in this movie. I was shook. I was not expecting it, but I was ready. I was like, I'm down for this. Let's let's do this. Well, because she goes, Athos, and he goes, Sabine. And ah, yet- they're reuniting right now. <laughs> he thought she was dead, but she's not. Come- it's like a soap opera, but like legit, though. <laughs> they take her to be arrested because she has killed the Count de Winter. Athos does try and get her to tell of Tim Curry's plan before being executed yeah they're in the prison cell and he's visiting her and it, it's so sad because she says like oh i finally become the nightmare that you thought i was and he's like but you weren't that were you when we were together you weren't a murderer and he's, she's like no i really wasn't and he's like fuck i believe you i know I, I believe you and he's like i can't save your life but how you die is up to you you can tell me what the plan is and we can we can stop it and she's like why would i want to save the world when what has the world ever done for me and like the whole scene is very intense very emotional because like even though Kiefer sutherland's goal is to like save the fucking country at the same time he clearly still loves this woman and he basically betrayed her and he's struggled with the guilt of that over all these years and like you can just feel all that the scene it's very emotionally intense but they take her to this cliff right all of the musketeers are there and like guards or whatever they're all there and they're gonna execute her right fucking chop her head off on the edge of this cliff and i was like okay he's not gonna just let them kill her he's gonna save her and then the musketeers are gonna come in they're gonna help and they're they're gonna get away and they're gonna be together again and it's gonna be wonderful and that didn't fucking happen (laughs) i was very upset (laughs) Yeah, no, that did not happen. Right before she's about to have her head chopped off, Afo stops the executioner, gets down on his knees holding her and goes, can you please forgive me? He doesn't even ask about the plans. He asks for forgiveness. And she said, I forgive you, kissed him, and then she proceeded to tell him what the plan was. She's like, the cardinal is planning on killing the king at his birthday celebration, which is coming up very soon. And then she gets up, slowly walks backwards, and falls off the cliff, killing herself. That gave me chills because I was like, it goes back to what he said in the prison cell when he's like, how you die is up to you. So she would have rather just kill herself than be killed by someone else. And I was like, fuck, that's fucking dark and intense and crazy. And I foolishly... <laughs> Because they showed her going off the cliff and I thought I saw her hitting the rocks on the way down. But I'm like, you know, maybe maybe that was just a trick of the eye. Maybe she just fell in the water, got away somehow, and she's going to pop up at the end to save Athos. And then they're going to run away into the sunset together and everything's going to be fine. Because I am a person and I believe in love and I don't want it to die. (laughs) But unfortunately, this is the only Disney movie with a suicide that I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, I I can't think of any other ones on the top of my head. But I just had the slightest bit of hope that she was still alive. But even though it was really sad, it was still emotionally satisfying because he got to reunite with her and get her forgiveness. And she got to go out her own way. Yes. 
both way. Like, it's sad, but at the same time, it's satisfying, if that makes sense. Well, that, that line about her becoming the nightmare that he always thought she was is such an impactful line because even if they happen to escape, she's not that woman anymore. She's not the innocent woman he loved anymore. Right. But this leads... Our crew now has to go all the way back to the center of France. And it turns out that the Cardinal has hired a sniper who will shoot the king when he comes out on the balcony for his birthday celebration. There is a scene with the Cardinal and the Queen where they are in the Queen's bath chamber. And we get a lot of lustful moments of Tim Curry basically saying, I don't want to be close to God. Mm, just I want saying it. To you. And so, and he like creeps up behind her and puts his hands on her like bare shoulders. And I'm like, I need you to step so far, so, so far away from her. Oh, it's, it's just so lustful because he talks about his vow of chastity. Like, even the Countess goes, I don't believe you actually take a vow of chastity, which he definitely doesn't because the Cardinal's an evil man. And creepy. Don't forget, creepy. Very creepy. So we get to the day of the king's birthday and the king and Anne are walking out and the musketeers have arrived after sending out the word to the rest of the musketeers that about this plot so d'artagnan realizes there's a sniper on the roof so he goes to the roof to fight the sniper after the sniper misses his shot almost killing the king the cardinal takes the king and the queen into the chambers and there is now a fight between the Cardinal's Guard and all the Musketeers. It's kind of an epic moment when our three Musketeers line up outside the castle and unsheath their swords. And they're like up against this huge line of army men. But then right behind our Musketeers, all these random guys just uh, take off their coats and reveal that they're wearing Musketeers garb. And it's like, ooh, okay. We got a real battle going on, girl. <laughs> I'm ready. There are a lot of good little moments here. They're all fighting. D'Artagnan is getting his ass kicked on the roof. Porthos grabs a crossbow and shoots the guy off the roof. It's about time. Come, D'Artagnan. We're saving the king. Very, like, aloof. Like, come, boy. <laughs> we have a party to get to. It's like, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, the king, who has now realized the cardinal's plan to kill him, is like, you'll never get away with this. And the Cardinal goes, I couldn't have planned this better. The oh, yeah. This is like the pinnacle of evil villain speech. Like, this is the height of his descension into villainous madness. He goes, the musketeers come. They kill you after being disbanded. It's the perfect plan. And then I will be there for the people of France and gladly accept the throne with the queen by my side. And the queen goes, I I'd rather die than be by your side. And he kicks the stand out and goes, that can be. Like I said, very cardboard cutout villain, but like his performance does bring something out of it to keep it entertaining for everyone, which is, you know, definitely Tim Curry's bag. Yeah, it is a hundred percent. So now the Musketeers have broken into the chamber. Athos is fighting the Dread Pirate Roberts, and Aramis cuts off the Cardinal trying to escape. Aramis goes, "Okay, it's time to give up. You're under arrest for treason." Aramis says to him, like, you know, if you won't answer to the country, you'll answer to God. And the cardinal turns around, shoots him in the chest and says, you first. And then walks the fuck away with the king and the queen in tow. And I, I attempted to make another prediction at this point. 
unfortunately i was wrong well fortunately i'll say i was wrong because here's the thing i thought that at some point one of our three musketeers was going to die and then at the end of the movie d'artagnan would take over in that person's place so when aramis was shot I was like, oh, okay, that's that's a thing. And it still surprised me when it happened because it was so quick. It was like sudden. But what I will say is that throughout the whole movie, whenever the Musketeers kill anyone, really, Aramis's thing is because he's a godly man. He goes around and he gives last rites to these people. Even when Milady de Winter was about to be executed, he was giving her last rites. So... In the scene, Porthos looks over and sees Aramis on the ground and runs to him. And at this point, I thought, okay, Porthos is going to go to Aramis. Aramis is going to say in his last dying breath, you have to give me my, my last rites, brother. And Porthos will end up giving Aramis his last rites and it'll be very sad. But <laughs> it turns out it was a little more cliche than that. It turns out that... Aramis was shot in his cross that he wears. Uh-huh. They rush hour two, this bitch. <laughs> Even though this came before rush hour two. Uh, but it's happened in a ton of movies where, oh, I had something in my coat pocket that stopped the bullet. They back to the future three, this bitch. That works a little better, yes. <laughs> of course, Aramis is alive. D'Artagnan takes over the fight for Athos with the Dread Pirate Roberts. And the Three Musketeers go chase the king and queen. They are forced to separate at a point. Aramis disappears. Athos does eventually catch up to the Cardinal. And Porthos has to fight a monster man. The Dread Pirate Roberts is fighting with D'Artagnan. And they're having this fight that's going over like stairs. D'Artagnan's kind of getting his ass kicked a little bit. A little bit. Uh, but then Dread Pirate Roberts reveals to D'Artagnan that he is the one that killed his father. And I felt a very strong urge to go all Inigo Montoya on this bitch. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! But unfortunately, um, Chris O'Donnell is no Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> no, he is not. He literally just says, like, you killed my father. Like, not e I just now when I said that, I gave it more emotion than Chris O'Donnell. Like, Chris O'Donnell sounded like he fucking forgot to put gas in his car that morning, like, when he said it. Like, it was just, you killed my father. I was like, what? The fucking subtitles gave it more emotion. They did like a question mark and an exclamation point, I think. But th there was no exclamation point. There was barely a question mark when he said it. I don't understand that. You're, you spent your whole life idolizing your father who was a musketeer. And you find out that this guy killed him. Which, by the way, explains why he was kicked out of the musketeers. Fucking Dread Pirate Roberts. Because yes. he killed another musketeer. Ah, it all comes together. But that does not explain or justify the fact that Chris O'Donnell sucks. No, it doesn't. But he is saved because Constance throws him his sword that was knocked out of his hand. Oh, my God. That was stupid, too. Let's talk about that for a second. So, Constance. Remember Constance, you guys? Wasn't she just a great character that everyone knows and loves? She was in the movie for two, not even two minutes, I feel like. <laughs> Stop laughing at me, Scott. I'm genuinely upset because she, she like sneaks up the stairs and sees what's going on and like like makes like she's gonna do something to help d'artagnan i'm like who is this bitch what the oh this is the lady that talked to d'artagnan for like literally two minutes before and was suddenly in love with him for some reason i'm like okay totally forgot her existence dread pirate roberts knocks d'artagnan to the floor 
he's very much about to die and then uh what's her name constance, constance. oh god who cares lady in waiting <laughs> slides d'artagnan his father's sword and he sticks dread pirate roberts right in the gut and he did and then constance goes over to d'artagnan and holds his hand doesn't bother to like you know put pressure on his many much stab wounds no just hold his hand that'll make him feel better the power of love and all i don't know <laughs> like what the fuck is okay let's go back to the three musketeers please <laughs> all for one and one for love oh my god can we talk about the all for one all for, well, one for all thing okay so the the like mantra of the musketeers is all for one and one for all and they say it many many much times in this movie and every single time because scott and i are theater kids and i don't know if this is like a universal theater thing but like whatever we would do theater productions whether in school or outside of school before every show yeah we do like a circle to we, like we do like a circle thing where we all link up arms and hold hands and squeeze each other's hands like you know it's a very ritualistic theater thing that we do and after we do this little ritual we say all for one and one for all break a leg so <laughs> every time they said all for one and one for all i kept like going like break a leg <laughs> and hopefully tim curry even says the line but he twists it yeah, because he goes, he's evil yeah he goes all for one and more for me <laughs> and i'm like in my head i'm like that's not how it goes <laughs> it's one for all and all for one Break a leg. <laughs> well, our three musketeers are chasing Tim Curry. Athos and Porthos meet up as Tim Curry is now on a boat floating away. And he goes, by now, the Duke of Buckingham has the treaty. There's nothing you can do. I will rule France. He goes, that's kind of hard when the treaty never left France. Ha ha, dummy. And he's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm I still going to win, bitch. I will come back stronger. And then Aramis appears that he is the boatman. And he goes, no, you will never harm another person again. And he goes up and he's about to, like, stab Tim Curry. And the king stops him. Tim Curry gives that, that Tim Curry smile. Yeah. And the king socks him in the face. Uh, <laughs> good shot, your majesty. <laughs> it, it's a good moment. We cut to the end. The musketeers have won. Our three musketeers and D'Artagnan are our heroes. And they go to the king and the king goes, D'Artagnan, for all your bravery, I will grant you one wish. And his one wish is, as Athos puts it, is to become a musketeer. So that's exactly what the king does. He inducts him into the musketeers. And then he makes out with... Uh, Constance. Whatever her fucking name is. Who cares? And then... It's constant that he will go make out with Constance. Oh, you're so funny. I am. Humorous play on words. And... Where the comedy comes at. The movie ends with the three musketeers leaving the castle, going off on many much adventures, and D'Artagnan runs up behind them. He's like, Where are we going, guys? <laughs> like, very scrappy do. Where are we going, guys? Let's go. Let's go on adventures together. And then, of course, our running joke is back. D'Artagnan! My sister's honor will not wait! <laughs> and then uh, Chris O'Donnell's like, All right, guys, you wait here. I'll handle this. And then they're like, No, no, D'Artagnan. We don't just protect the king and the queen and the country of France. We also protect each other. Da, da, da. And then the fucking skeevy, screechy guy runs away flailing. And that's the movie. As a buttload of musketeers chase him. And of course, we get our song. 
Yes. So let's let's discuss the end credit song. Now, first of all, I don't particularly love the idea that original songs for movies just pop up in the end credits and that counts as a movie song. Like, I just feel like that's kind of cheating. But that's besides the point. This song, All for Love, which was sung by, get this, okay, let me know if you've ever heard a more 80s slash 90s thing in your life. This song was performed by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. Yep. <laughs> and um, because I wrote notes on this movie before watching it, I knew of its existence. So I purposely waited till the end credits to listen to the song. And when I tell you, I couldn't finish it <laughs> because it was so cheesy and so 80s and this is 1993 like I felt like I had been transported back to 10 years prior to that I, I I couldn't do it you guys I just couldn't I know my job here and Scott's as well is to give you the tea on these movies and do the research and perform the experiment of watching it in its entirety and coming back to you with hard data but you guys I couldn't do it I only can handle so much and what's even more confusing to me is that this song was nominated for an MTV Movie Award for Best Movie Song, which again, I feel like is cheating, but whatever, I'll let it go. And it also reached number one across the US, Australia, and Europe. When there's love inside, I swear I'll always be strong. Then there's a reason why I prove to you we Again, befuddling, but <laughs> this song lost the MTV Movie Award to a song called Will You Be There by Michael Jackson, which apparently was in Free Willy. But uh, I think it was just kind of slim pickings that year for songs. I'm guessing it just won because Michael Jackson, if I'm going to wager a guess. The point is the song is dated as fuck. It was dated as fuck when it came out, I would assume, in 1993. So it's super dated now to the point where I couldn't finish it without laughing. And if I'm laughing uproariously at two in the morning watching this movie, I can't really take in the song. So I just kind of stopped. <laughs> All for one and one for love, dear. I, I did what I could, guys. I'm sorry. But the point is... <laughs> That's our movie. <laughs> that is our movie. That is the Free Musketeers. We went on an adventure, I feel like, of our own. We did. Ironically. We went on an adventure. It was a good time. It's a good movie. It really is. I, I, I have a good time with it. Is it like an all-time great? No. But damn straight, it's not a fucking 26. Yeah, I don't I don't think so at all. I, I think, like I said, I think the audience score of like 60-something is probably more appropriate. Because it's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but it's definitely good enough that you can kind of turn your brain off to the flaws and kind of just enjoy the fun of it, both in the dialogue and in the action and so forth. Like I said, throughout like maybe the first quarter to half of this movie, I was feeling a three out of five, but I bumped it up by the end to a three and a half out of five stars. Nice, nice. That is very good. I have it as a four out of five. I love this goddamn movie. I watched it a lot when I was younger, and revisiting it now, it's still a good time. Give it a shot. If you haven't seen it, or if you're like, oh, another Free Musketeers movie, this is a very fun 90s pseudo-classic. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, a pseudo-classic. I like that. 
So next week, we will be having another foray into the world of television. <gasps> I have, over the past couple months, have been slowly but surely introducing Scott to a television icon that uh, I am very much in love with. And I'm very excited to discuss that icon with him. And if I'm not mistaken, it's another thing that I showed Scott that I was unsure if he was going to really dig, but he ended up really digging. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it is something you tried to before, but I feel like you found the right entry point this time. We're back to TV land next week. I'm very excited about it. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I am Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you come back next week for our exciting intergalactic movie adventure. All for one. And one for all. Break a leg. Neighbors. <laughs>